episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization Podcast, also known as Hero Paranormal, broadcasting from just south of Area 51 at the base of La Madre Mountain. My name is Ryan, the Anomalous Ambassador of the Airwaves, bringing you an unbelievable episode today with someone who really has done so much research that I can't say enough good things about, Chad Riley. I can't stress this enough. You absolutely must watch his film, Skinwalkers and Stranger Things of the Unseen Realms. It's uh, from Truth Seekers Research, and it goes into depth more than just about anything I've seen possibly ever. Yeah, he, he he really gets into it. He's an amazing researcher. He connects all the loose ends where other researchers leave them hanging. Can't say enough good things about his work, his research, and his investigation, and honestly, just an overall good guy. Must check out that film. We will have links in the description, and I will also have him explain where and how to watch that. Moving on. If you haven't headed over to heroparanormal.com, please do. You're missing out if you haven't gone over there. There is a ton of content over there. We also have a shop. If you prefer to buy tangible gear, whether that be t-shirts, hats, hoodies, etc. We've got some new Space Wolf Research t-shirts in large and extra large. And uh, have a whole new bunch of Hero Paranormal swag coming as well. In addition... If you're not really a t-shirt and hat person, if you want something more along the lines of healthcare, go to happinessmedical.com. Anything you purchase at happinessmedical.com also helps support the podcast. Okay, so what can I tell you about Chad Riley? He's the bomb. He's got this amazing knack about being able to research and investigate and tie up the loose ends. Most researchers and investigators will tell a story, follow a script, go along the rabbit hole for a bit, then tap the brakes and exit. Not Chad. He follows it all the way through. He basically ties up the loose ends like nobody I've really ever encountered. I'll be 100% honest. I know a lot of good researchers, but Although extremely lengthy, the way he goes about his research, he is seeking the truth. And he goes to all lengths to do so. So can't say enough about the information packed. I've never 
uh, I know this is probably sounding like I'm beating a dead horse, but I've never come across a researcher that basically goes to the lengths that Chad Riley does. He's he's 100% a scholar, a gentleman, and his work shows it. So without wasting any more time, let's get to the business, get to the man, the myth, the legend. Chad Riley, welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. Thank you, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be here with you all today, and I hope you're doing well. Thanks. I'm I'm doing better now that I'm talking to you. I, I want to ask right out of the gate, um, if you can tell listeners where, I'll include this in the show notes as well, but where they can follow Truth Seekers Research and where they can watch your amazing movie. Sure. The film is available on Vimeo, so you can go to Vimeo, or you can even just Google, just type in V-I-M-E-O, and then Truth, or not Truth Seekers, sorry about that. Uh, you can just type in Skinwalkers and Stranger Things of the Unseen Realm. So if you go on uh, Google and type in Vimeo in the title of the film, or just go to uh, on-demand Vimeo, you can also type it in there and find it. And you guys, this is a banger of a movie. It is two hours and 34 minutes of Chad just dropping bombs, I swear. After about the first 15 minutes, I was like, you can't be serious. He's doing what everybody else has tried to do, but have failed. And that is going into the occult, the demonic, and how it ties into the greater narrative and agenda. And, you know, the sinister forces at work. He ties into Skinwalker Ranch, UFOs, remote viewing, and even some of the predictive programming and the reality behind TV shows like Stranger Things. Um, yeah, man, you you literally just consistently drop bombs throughout the entire two hours and 34 minutes. I think if you had to value this on a minute-by-minute minute basis, it is the best money anybody could spend to take a huge deep dive down the rabbit hole and get enough information to connect it all in a cohesive version where they're basically, it's like, it is like, um, you know, <laughs> in my opinion, UFOs, the esoteric, the occult 101. You get all the info all at once. It, you make sense of it. It's not just a little piece here, a little piece there, and you can't figure out how it ties together. No, you create a tapestry where somebody comes, after watching this, somebody comes away with a very working knowledge of how all these things are important, but more importantly, how they work together. So really well done. Um, I have to ask, what brought you to do this documentary, to put this much work into it? You went above and beyond. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, we had uh, just finished our documentary called uh, Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes. And uh, Justin and Wes were both doing interviews with Keith at End Times Production. And after he got done interviewing both of them, he was like, all right, Chad, get over here. He's like, I've got to interview you, too. I was like, well, I, I didn't prepare for any of this stuff that we're going to be talking about. And I said, I, I don't, I, I'd pretty much just be sitting here rehashing a lot of the stuff, what they were already saying. He's like, oh, he's like, you know, tons of stuff. He's like, you know about Skinwalker Ranch, you know about the Tic Tac and all this different stuff. He's like, just get over here and talk about some of this. So I sat down, we started talking about Skinwalker Ranch and Tic Tac and the Nimitz incident and numerous other uh, things going on, and it ended up exploding and becoming a big deal. Um, 
I kept getting people sending me stuff showing that uh, the video had hundreds of millions of views on TikTok for some reason, so that people were taking snippets of that interview and sharing it all over TikTok, and I didn't even know that I had become some sort of a TikTok sensation or something, uh, which is kind of bizarre because I've never really been on TikTok myself. And um, but uh, yeah, it was a very humbling experience, and you know I'm just glad that the information is getting out there, even if they're taking like little snippets and doing TikTok videos, because this 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 information is important and it's it's all relevant. Everything in the film I show from A to Z how everything is completely entrenched in the esoteric and the occult and the demonic and satanic rituals. But at the same time, I also give scripture towards the last couple chapters, and I have my message of salvation at the end of the film, which I believe is the most important part of the film, showing people that, yes, you can be free from all this stuff. It doesn't matter if it's alien encounters, uh, seeing crafts or shadow people or any bizarre stuff that might be going on in your home, like sleep paralysis uh, poltergeist activity, we can all be free of this. All we have to do is cry out in the name of Jesus. And like Joe Jordan said, you know, it may come to a stop, but if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it will stop permanently. And, they hit the, you know, this is scientifically uh, provable. And so he had people reaching out to him saying, "Could you? will this work for me? Could you help me? And he said, yes, I can. Uh, I find this really intriguing because, as you know, there's very many documented um, examples of with contactees, abductees, whatever you want to call them, there's many examples of how they, if they incorporate calling out in the name of Jesus, the abduction stops, the the pain ends, and basically... Uh, it's still, you know, it's wild because there, there's been a lot of experiments revolving around this, and yet they th there's still those who believe that there is not a correlation between the two. Hey guys, I'm going to take a moment, take this opportunity to take a walk with you down Grifter Alley. No, in all seriousness, there is an amazing product. In fact, the first organic bronzing lotion that's hydrating with coconut oil, aloe vera oil, and infused with other all-organic ingredients for maximum hydration. It's called Spice Natural Bronze. It was invented, formulated, and engineered by my wife. She's the brains in the operation. The good news is it helps support the Hero Paranormal podcast. It is the first lotion of its type to do what it does. It keeps your skin throughout the winter months hydrated, moisturized, infused with all those awesome organic ingredients, 100% organic, keeps that skin from being gray and nasty and crackly in the winter while maintaining that awesome color you got in the summer. You can't beat it. It's an amazing product. Trust me when I say you will be amazed if you get some. You can get it over at happinessmedical.com. In fact, anything you buy over there, minerals, vitamins, and more help support the podcast. There it is. That's the grift. I'm done. Have to do it. Hey, I'm married. Got mouths to feed. Got to uh, got a shout out to the wife that made this amazing product. And I'm just happy that Selling it helps support the podcast. Let's get back to our awesome guest. 
There's a bunch of MK Ultra stuff. There is tons of UFO stuff, and you tie it all really well together with uh, things like Genesis 6 and Enoch 1. And I think that's the important correlation that a lot of people fail to notice. What brought you to uh, kind of, kind of uh, you know, transpose and layer it upon biblical canon, etc.? Well, I try to approach everything with a biblical lens, and uh, it, whether it be history or just high strangeness, whatever, and I look at a lot of the key players that are involved and what are their beliefs, what were they getting into. And when you start looking at a lot of this, uh, especially the programs that were brought over here to the United States or ones that were launched not long after we absorbed almost 1,600 Nazis under Operation Paperclip, that, um, you know, the whole thing about MK Ultra, Monarch, as well as uh, MK Oppen, and uh, Edgewood Arsenal, all that, you quickly start seeing that we were already engaged in a lot of this stuff. I, I, I try to lay that out as well because people are like, there's no way that people are into this. But when I show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that after the Tuskegee experiments to where they were feeding radioactive oatmeal to children in an orphanage that was carried out by MIT as well as Quaker Oats and just, you know, the 600 women that were fed radioactive uh, energy drinks, that uh, they were wanting to see how it passed through them and their placentas. I mean, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt. If they were mixed up in things like that, uh, getting mixed up in satanic rituals and making contact with demonic entities in, in order for, you know, technology and power, it's not that far stretch. It's really not. And there, there's a lot to the MK Ultra program and programming and how how the government has kind of tested on people many times without their knowledge. I really appreciated that you brought some stuff that a lot of people don't like to talk about um, to the mainstream, specifically uh, the, the stuff about St. Louis and the sociologist uh, talking about how you know, literally, they were testing on American citizens without their knowledge. This is this is the kind of stuff that most films, most researchers, investigators just avoid due to the simple fact that it doesn't make our government look good. And it, it's still, or Tuskegee, for example, what um, it, you really left no stone uncovered. And could you tell listeners a little bit about that St. Louis incident? And I mean, this woman went on the news and talked about it. Yeah, she did a several-year uh, investigation and covered that they had been doing this uh, for quite some time. The, the Pergo unit, uh, in particular, where there was about 900 people living in that building, and uh, if I remember correctly, about 85 to close to 90 percent of the people that lived in that building were under the age of 13. So they were doing this on children, um, and they've been doing stuff like that. I mean, seriously, if they'll feed radioactive oatmeal to children, it's like, what would they not do at this point? You seriously have to ask yourself that. And, uh, yeah, they were spraying radioactive particles on these people, and it wasn't just uh, in St. Louis. They were also doing it in Corpus Christi as well at the exact same time. So and down there in Corpus Christi, they were flying over with planes and dropping the clouds of smoke overpopulated areas so i mean we really to this day we don't understand exactly all the ramifications and just how widespread a lot of this stuff is and these are just the ones that we know about imagine all the ones that we don't know about that were going on 
Yeah, and it's it is very interesting. I think you can't blame it all on Project Paperclip, which of course um, the the numbers are staggering with how many were brought over, and that's basically staggering. But you also go into detail about someone who often flies under the radar, which is Arizona Wilder. And uh, for those who have not heard of her, a lot of people hear about Kathy O'Brien and some other victims. Could you tell listeners a little bit about Arizona Wilder? Yeah, and the the clip that I specifically play of her, she is specifically talking about uh, naval intelligence. Now, keep in mind that a lot of the people that are mixed up in a lot of these projects nowadays came out of naval intelligence, and that would be Hal Puttoff, who was part of the remote viewing program. He's also part of the NIDS team that works out at Skinwalker Ranch. So, um, you know, these are very important people key people that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you see them overlapping like Jacques Vallée. He's out there at Skinwalker Ranch, part of NIDS, and that these people are also important in other fields of uh, technology because, like I said, Hal is part of um, the remote viewing program. Jacques Vallée, one of the most, you know, I think the second leading ufologist on the planet after Alan J. Hynek. And, um, I mean, this is this is key to understand this, but yeah, Arizona Wilder, she's talking about the naval intelligence and about satanic rituals being carried out on military bases because a lot of people, they hear different things. They're like, no, there's no way. It's like, yes, they are actually, in fact, in fact, two of the people that reached out to Ray Boucher that were uh, known as the writers, according to Linda Moulton Howe, as well as Ray Boucher, these men worked in the Pentagon. And they were highly disturbed at a lot of the stuff that they were seeing on different military bases and different parts of the government. And they reached out to Ray Boucher because he worked for MUFON, but he was also a pastor. And they, you know, themselves considered themselves to be Christians, so they knew that this was some sort of satanic rituals that they were actually witnessing and seeing the government people doing, and that it was working, and that they were opening portals, that these things were being brought into our dimension, and they were making contact. So they reached out and talked to both um, Ray Boucher as well as Linda Moulton Howe, and they were highly disturbed about all everything that was going on. But the lady, the Arizona Wilder, she was uh, one of the victims out there where they were doing a lot of this stuff, and she has a key <clears throat> a key thing that she lays out, she says that a lot of the people that are mixed up in the naval intelligence and these satanic rituals on military bases are also t- tied into the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orionis, which we know that that ties in with Aleister Crowley as well as Jack Parsons and even Kenneth Grant, who later took over after Crowley's death. So these are key things to understand and to know. And this ties in so well because obviously Aleister Crowley uh, invoked this entity known as Lamb, which for all intents and purposes is the first time we see something resembling a gray alien. And naval intelligence being involved in these sorts of things, I think uh, Michael Aquino is a great example of that. who recently uh, suicided himself um, uh, in December of 2023. And a lot of people were, were, were floored, you know, that this guy had beat all these charges. He was an old man living comfortably. Why would he, why would he suicide? I have my own theory on that, which has to do with the red right and the possibility of 
you know, maybe he was able to in kind of a a Jordan Peele movie get out scenario able or at least tried to download his consciousness upon the unborn uh, fetus in, in a pregnant woman. There's a whole thing, but I don't have any proof of this. I'm just going going a little bit deeper into these aspects of some of these orders like the OTO, obviously the Temple of Set, which uh, Michael Aquino founded. And of course, um, the Church of Satan, which he was an earlier member of, along with Anton LaVey. But getting back to how this all ties together so well, and you do such a great job of painting this tapestry, Chad, the the the, the most fascinating thing for me is that this MK Ultra technique and technology, the way that they use, you know, the breaking of the psyche, the multiple altars, etc., is something that originates in a lot of these satanic uh, ancient religions that um, many purport, along with um, some people I've interviewed, such as Jay Parker, that the, there are certain populations in townships like Arden, Delaware, Rose Valley, Pennsylvania, and others, where in some estimations, up to 90% of the population are members of these ancient mystery cults which uh, utilize many of the same techniques. And that's why the government became aware of it, because as you said, it works. And the government has spent millions of dollars, you know, incorporating some of these techniques in projects like MKUltra, MKOffin, Project Artichoke. And um, for listeners, in they absolutely have to, if, if you want to tie everything together in a well packaged way i can't think of anything other than your movie which does so extremely eloquently no no you know you 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 cross all the t's you dot all the i's and can you tell listeners a little bit about mk ultra mk often project artichoke and then how technology is later incorporated with things like camp hero in montauk yeah sure um the, the whole thing about the mind control, MK Ultra, Monarch, um, even MK Often, where it starts getting into the esoteric and the occult uh, parts of it, um, it's all ties in with uh, satanic ritual abuse. Um, for anybody who knows anything about SRA and SRA victims, <clears throat> this isn't going to be anything really new. Um, but even, uh, what is it, um, Russ Dizdar in his book, The Black, uh, Black Awakening, he talks about it because he dealt with a lot of Satanists, and uh, I mean that's a very highly sought after book. It's no longer in print now, so uh, you're going to spend a little bit of money if you want a copy of the book. But it's well worth it. And uh, in the book, he actually talks about uh, the people that are, are doing this, and they mainly do it to children. They do it to young children, and uh, they literally shatter these children's mind by doing different uh, techniques. But uh, one of the techniques I heard of where they had a, a tub full of ice water and another tub full of hot water, and what they would do is one person would grab the kid's hands, the other person would grab the kid's ankles, and they would just set them in one tub for maybe about 10, 15 seconds, then yank them out and throw them in the other tub, and they would just keep going back and forth, back and forth, and eventually the child's mind would just shatter because they couldn't handle it. It was too much, and that... The reason why they do that is they are trying to shatter the, the child's mind in order to open them up to demonic possession. So that's the thing is they, they want demonic possession because somehow these, these entities 
have these capabilities, and that's one of the things that I lay out also in the film, all the different powers that demons are said to possess and things that they can do. And um, so, yeah, that ties in completely with what they were doing out there at Camp Hero in uh, Montauk, New York. In fact, you know, the, there's been a lot of different things. The thing about the Philadelphia Experiment book uh, that Nichols did, as well as, um, you know, Christopher Garantano, his uh, research into the Montauk Chronicles. I mean, even the Duffer brothers themselves, they were looking at all that information, and that's where they got the idea for Stranger Things. In fact, when it came out, when they wrote the first script, it was called Montauk. That was the original title, and they were sued uh, by an individual that said that they plagiarized his uh, short film, and they were forced to change the name to Stranger Things. So this is all completely, it's, it's based on fact, whether people have done their due diligence and looked into that and, and completely understand that, that's a whole different um, you know, question. But the thing is, is the information's out there. It doesn't require a whole lot of digging. You can easily find out that everything I'm saying here is true. And don't take anything I say as fact. Look into everything that I'm saying and verify it yourself. 100%. And something that a lot of people have looked into is this Montauk, New York project known as Camp Hero. And it is, you know, mind blowing that apparently through technology, they were testing how to actually control segments of the population. I believe your uh, movie goes into a few of those projects, specifically, if I remember correctly, getting adolescents to group up into groups and uh, animals um, to kind of go on the rampage, as well as uh, some mind control aimed at adults and even machinery. Could we go into that just a little bit? Yeah, that was what they were originally talking about. They wanted to be able to control uh, machines by thought, whether it be like drones flying overhead and you know different kinds of weapons and different things like that. It was originally their intentions, but they found out very quickly that whenever the Sage Radar Tower was fired up, that they could also take over certain groups of people within uh, nearby towns. And like you said, sometimes it would cause uh, young kids to congregate and hang out. Sometimes it would cause people to go on crime sprees, uh, animals charging into town, um, just all sorts of bizarre activity. But yeah, it, uh, that was its original intentions was to be able to create or to control different types of technology. Yeah, the two-hour crime sprees really fascinated me. I thought that was like really cool. Like, wow, you can turn it on. You can turn it off. And um, speaking of turning it on, turning it off, and remote viewing, there is an individual um, who's mentioned, uh, a volunteer, also a remote viewer, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for INSCOM Project Grill Frame, which was known as Melvin C. Riley. I had to ask the... <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't get the answer in the film, but I had to ask the, the, the obvious question. You guys share a last name. Are you related? I'm not related to him as far as I know, but uh, I, I mainly uh, bring him into the film because his designation was, uh, you know, 011, and tying him into the whole thing about Stranger Things, as well as even 001, which was uh, Joseph McConical, uh, so, or McMonical. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 
very fascinating. I mean, seriously, it's, when you see just how much of this stuff is actually based on reality, it's. Uh, in fact, he just recently did an interview on Sean Ryan's show, and I believe it's six hour long interview that uh, he's on there talking to him. So I got a little catching up to do on some of this stuff. Yeah, me too. There's so much of it. And I'm really glad that you brought Melvin in because, yeah, being that he really is 11, obviously they rebranded and repackaged this with a young girl to make it more uh, sellable. But he is basically, you know, that person with with uh, enhanced inherent psychic abilities and training willing to volunteer to participate in INSCOM and it's it's wild when you realize that yeah stranger things is really you know this is far-fetched for a lot of people to wrap their heads around a lot of you know those people which haven't quite dug into this but stranger things is very much based in real government testing Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, something that is a little bit off topic, but I was reminded of is, I believe, the last Stranger Things episode. They had this ordeal, a little bit of predictive programming here. So uh, if I'm way off the radar, bear with me. But they had this ordeal where the kids, for lack of a better word, are fighting this uh, alien dimensional but yet real entity in a mall with fireworks and then we have this strange ordeal in miami which is in a mall involves fireworks people are claiming there's these interdimensional quote-unquote aliens or whatever they might be but then there's kind of an underlying aspect which goes into the esoteric and the occult with uh you know the typhonian order and the leader of the Typhonian Order doing some strange rituals, sex magic. It involved cross-dressing with his wife. Um, they later wrote a book about this with Peter Lavenda. And um, it, and it's, it's really strange because purportedly the allegation is that they were trying to impregnate um, the leader of the Typhonian Order at the time with not a baby, but information from these dimensional entities and it was some sort of codex to and it's always kind of the same uh the same deal right how to how how to how to invoke these things on a regular basis or be like basically have the menu or the code or you know as john d uh did you know have have this have this enochian language of the angels and demons which they both seem to be responsive to the same language that's where we enter the whole ordeal of you don't really know what you're calling in or invoking, even if you go to all those links. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're talking about the uh, Babylon working ritual, correct? Um, it was at, it, very similar, very similar. That's one that I also want to touch base on, though. So let's let's tell listeners about the Babylon working ritual, because that will tie perfectly into this other one. Yeah, the uh, Babylon working ritual was the ritual that uh, Parsons had taken from Crowley, the Alma Launcher working, and had tweaked it and was trying to bring about the Whore of Babylon so that he could also bring about the end of the world. And uh, what's bizarre is that uh, Parsons, well, you know, unbeknownst to him, he had no clue that there was a um, group of uh, so-called Christians out there called the Jehovah's Witnesses, and their founder and leader, Charles Ray Tussle, had uh, made a prediction 
that the end of the world would begin on, uh, I believe it was October 12th of uh, 1914, or maybe October 2nd, 1914. I have to go back and look. But what was bizarre about that was that on the day that he was actually born, it was that same date. He was born on the date that Charles Ray's Tussle had predicted would be the uh, beginning of the uh, end of days, uh, the countdown. And that uh, he would also be the one who would get together with L. Ron Hubbard, the creator of Scientology, and that they would take this ritual and they would uh, tweak it. And between the years 1945 and 1946, they kept performing it and trying to perfect it. And finally, the last time that they did, they were supposedly successful and ripped a hole in space-time that Parsons himself did not know how to close. So he never closed it, and even um, L. Ron Hubbard had made a prediction that thou shall become the living sacrifice uh, by being illuminated or something along those lines. And, you know, it's very poetic that uh, Parsons would be the one who blows himself up and dies uh, shortly before the merry-go-round incident took place in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And and that's I mean really this is where coincidence in my opinion hits a huge stop sign a roadblock because with Crowley Thelema OTO and the Typhonian Order etc. We have um, you mentioned Kenneth Grant earlier. We have these issues and. This ties perfectly into this. Uh, it's well documented in a book by Peter Lavenda called The Rights of the Mummy and The Secret Key to Liber Al. So basically, these rituals typically go for, you know, over a period of a few years. You know, it's much like, um, you know, the novenas or like if, if you're a Christian like yourself or others, you know that some of these more deep prayers go for a span of a few days or whatever the case may be, nine days. But with some of these darker rites and rituals, such as the Babylon working, and this other one, which they called the secret key to Liber Al, this took a period of over several years down in Florida. The former head of Kenneth Grant's Typhonian order conducted this bizarre sexual ritual with elements of Thelema of course, um, Lovecraft and the Egyptian mummification ceremony to unlock apparently a mathematical code um, buried in plain sight in Aleister Crowley's book of the law. His name was Jeffrey Evans, and he writes this book with Peter Lavenda called Rights of the Mummy, but we're back to the same thing where they accomplish Basically, it's always the same revelation, right? That through imagery, chanting, and ritual, and this one involved cross-dressing and bondage along with his wife, very creepy stuff in this, in this pathway along the dark side. But the idea is that all these elements are included in an effort to traverse the tunnels of set or invoke these darker entities and I think, you know, when it comes to Thelema, Gnosticism, Freemasonry, Templarism, and the esoteric in general, oftentimes the question is, why would anyone in their right mind want to do this? And this brings us to this idea of a great reset, as we've heard recently, you know, coming out of some of the super class and power elite. And the best way to build something, if, if I'm right, Chad, is to destroy it first, right? And start from scratch. Oh, yeah, that's totally what the uh, whole Cloward Piven strategy is that they uh, have been trying to enact over the last uh, decade or more. 
um, that's always, uh, you know, destruction out of chaos and that they will rebuild. Um, but uh, the, the thing, I'm not too familiar with the one that you're talking about right there. That's definitely something that sounds like I need to look into because I uh, have not read all of Peter Lavender's books. He does have some very interesting books. And um, But uh, you're talking about the Libra Owl. That's another thing that I did get into was that Kenneth Grant, who did take over and wrote the Typhonian series, he did say that he believed, um, and that Aleister Crowley, this is Aleister Crowley's thoughts, that he believed that after he released the Book of the Law, that that is what triggered World War One, And he even went so far as to say that he re-released the book, and when he re-released it, that's when World War Two broke out. So he was believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was the uh, preface uh, leading up to the world wars was that the book of the law was released both times before and he said that the part of the reason behind that was that this was to uh, initiate the baptism of blood for the antichrist or the son of perdition so between that communism abortion and everything else that this was all tying into the baptism of blood to bring about the end days and the son of perdition and uh, the antichrist a hundred percent and, you know, as as much as Crowley, with good reason, gets uh, a lot of bad press, he's kind of one of those any publicity is good publicity guys. Hollywood has very much embraced and accept, accepted his philosoph- philosophical teachings. And I think it's interesting because when you research and investigate this stuff as you do, love him or hate him, he's one of these characters that keeps coming into play you know this false spiritual guru an antichrist of sorts and you often hear you know there's there's good examples on how to live your life and there's great examples on how to live your life i think he's a great example because he did everything wrong and it teaches you that it doesn't work but at the same time crowley basically corresponds with the you know uh with, with the Christ itself or the the Messiah in a way because he does the exact opposite and, you know, throughout his teachings and in some of the more hard-to-find works, he explains that he's literally trying to shake off, you know, his guardian angel to get this full, uh, you know, possession of his will and unsuccessfully, I might add, that the guardian angel is much more powerful than he realizes and doesn't want to even let go of the shell of an entity which he becomes. But this kind of goes into and addresses some of the stranger thought processes that go along with the UFO narrative, ufology in general. And we've heard Bob Lazar in past interviews say that he's seen documentation that, you know, some of these non-human intelligences refer to human beings as vehicles or as shells. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of those strange quotes from Bob Lazar? Yeah, they, um, that also ties in with a lot of this esoteric stuff like the Kelepote or the Clippeth um, and the, uh, what is it, the Ashtakari, things like that, because they talk about uh, containers, husk, uh, things like that as well. And just a lot of the stuff that I kept seeing that Kenneth Grant was talking about in his book, Aleister Crowley and the Hidden God, it, it led me to dig deeper because I knew there was a specific quote in there 
that uh, a researcher by the name of Freeman Fly had brought to my attention that um, the sole purpose that NASA was created was to make contact with the other side. So when you come across the stuff about the, the Klippith or the Kelepote or even the, the Ashtakari, another name for the Ashtakari is the other side. And it's referred to as a demonic realm where five kings of Edom rule over this demonic realm. And so I was like, okay, this has an even deeper meaning than what I even anticipated. You know, I, I figured it was something to do with like another dimension, something like that. But this is a specific demonic realm. And they refer to, um, they talk a lot about husk and uh, containers and vessels and things like that, that things have no meaning. Um, so, I don't know, I just found it uh, highly bizarre. And yeah, the whole thing about uh, when he dropped that bombshell on Joe Rogan's podcast, saying that uh, out of the nine craft that they have out there at, at S4 Area 51, that one of them was found at an archaeological dig and that it wasn't just old, but it was actually ancient. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that that didn't blow up and, and get way more uh, traction than it did because, I mean, not very many people even blinked when he said that. Yeah, and I find this so creepy as well, this husk vehicle, um, you know, way of describing human beings. But if anything, I think, you know, it's also kind of a great a great way, it, it, as, as creepy as it is, and as well explained as it's been in SRA, MKUltra, how, you know, you are what you program into the human being. At the same time, this is kind of a reiteration that, you know, if you're a Christian, you should pray daily, you should be a vehicle for your higher power, and basically be a daily participant in, you know, uh, in the good. And you, you mentioned something super important, Chad, which is NASA. Uh, of course, many know that is never a straight answer, but NASA also has some other symbology and significance as far as its name. I won't get into that, but as many know, it involved many of Himmler's men. And this brings me to something that you touched upon very well in, in, in this uh, movie, and that is Himmler's stash of books on witchcraft, which was discovered. Can we go into that just a little bit? Yeah, that was uh, back in 2016, I believe. There was a uh, cache of books found in a Czech Republic, uh, about 13,000 volume library of books that uh, Himmler and the SS and Anunerbe and all them that were collecting as they were taking over different territories. They were going into Masonic lodges and occult bookshops, and they were literally taking everything they could get their hands on. Uh, part of this had to do with they were trying to find an entrance into the hollow earth uh, back when uh, they were uh, really getting into a lot of the Blavatsky teachings. In fact, it was her root race theology that um, they started looking into the whole thing about the Aryans and the Atlanteans and so on. Um, they knew that the Aryans were descendants uh, of the Atlanteans, but you know most people, they, they hear the Atlanteans, they don't think much about it. They think it's but some you know island that was out in the middle of the ocean. But when you really look at what they say about the Atlantis, and like I said, you can go to uh, Blavatsky's book, The Secret Do Doctrine, Volume 2, and look in the, the section called The Book of Dizion. And that, in one of the stanzas, it actually says that they built statues as tall as their bodies that was nine yachts high. 
Well, a yachty corresponds to a meter or three feet, so that would make them 27 feet tall, directly tying them in with Genesis 6 and the Nephilim. So that is what they were tapping into. That's what they believe. They believe that they weren't just a superior race, but that they were the descendants of the Nephilim. And so that is exactly what it was all about. It wasn't about eugenics or, you know, white power or any nonsense like that. It, it had to do with the, the royal bloodlines, the Nephilim bloodlines. And this is super key because this also ties into Genesis 6 and Enoch 1 when we have this, well, for lack of a better word, Nephilim, right? These, I believe, the spawns of the original 200 can you go into a little bit of detail? Because I know a lot of average uh, folks aren't aware of this um, initial 200, which came down and kind of uh, got things rolling. Could we go into that for just a moment? Sure. Yeah, the uh, the 200 fallen angels came down in the days of Jared. Um, there was uh, 200 of them that came down on the summit of Mount Hermon. In fact, uh, one of the oldest... Uh, temples of worship, Kassar Antar, is actually located at that uh, part of uh, Mount Hermon. And in fact, they found a, uh, a, a, a ancient, ancient um, stele that had, uh, I believe, some sort of Greek writing on there. And it says that those who proceed from this point or this summit, uh, they take an oath. And that literally ties in with the 200 fallen angels that came down in the days of Jared. Um, the reason why these angels came down uh, was because of the uh, judgment that was handed out in the garden. And it said, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed, and, you know, you uh, shall bruise his foot and he shall crush your head. Well, that is why the 200 fallen angels came. They came to blot out the coming Messiah. If they could prove God to be a liar, then they win. So they came here and corrupted all flesh, uh, corrupted humanity, uh, corrupted the animals. You know, it's talked about uh, in the Book of Giants. It talks about the word miscegenation, as well as in Jasher. It talks about the blending of uh, DNA. And uh, even in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, you know, we got this, that uh, the, the angels came down and took human wives and that they birthed this race of giants called the Nephilim. So for anybody who's not too familiar with that um it's it's not hard to really look at that and like i said if you really want to look at that look at genesis 6 1 through 4 i believe also genesis three fifteen and even um enoch 1 now there's three versions of enoch out there the only one that we know is legit is enoch 1 um you know they rediscovered it in the 1700s in the ethiopian bible and they translated it and brought it back um to the english-speaking world but uh, whenever Cave 1 at Qumran, uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls was, were discovered, they found three copies of Enoch 1, and all three copies matched up word for word with the Ethiopian translation. So we know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's legit. Even Jesus quoted from it, James quoted from it, Jude quoted from it. Jude quoted an entire paragraph verbatim under the Holy Spirit when he wrote his epistles. So all those people out there that want to say that's not part of the Bible, do your research or be quiet. Yep, yep. I'm with you with uh, Jude in that. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, as you said, this is more verification. And, you know, it's fascinating. I went to a, uh, this is years ago, I went to an exposition of the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
And the one thing that I took away from all that is how every religion, literally as soon as they heard about this, talk about acting like government entities. Every single religion had their very best researchers and investigators on flights uh, to go to that location and basically sort of all agree to look this over together. This is how important Enoch one is. Um, Everybody, you know, takes it like uh, with a grain of salt. But no, this literally sent the world into a religious spiritual tailspin when this was verified with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it was a big deal. Um, I also wanted to uh, touch base really quick on sort of coming out of that German appropriation through Project Paperclip and NASA, etc., that there's also a lot of occult and esoteric evidence with the Vril Society. And something that really, you know, my jaw dropped is that you included uh, the women who had their hair down almost to the floor, I believe. Could we touch base on that? Because that's something many researchers and investigators never touch upon. Yeah, there was a group within the Vril called the Vril Maidens. And there was two specifically that uh, were the the main ones. There was one called Sigrum, and there was another one called uh, Maria Orsic. And they were tasked with, and and it's another thing I bring up in the film, is I show that not only was the CIA trying to make contact with dead officers, but even the Vril as well, they were trying to make contact with a dead SS officer that had not relayed information before his mission was over with, had died or perished somehow before making it back to deliver the information that he was uh, out collecting. While they were trying to make contact with this dead SS officer, they supposedly made contact with some sort of entity that reigned out of the Eldebaran system. And they began to, uh, their eyes rolled back in their heads, and they started to exhale ectoplasm out of their mouths and their nose, and then they began automatic writing. Uh, One was writing in an ancient uh, Sumerian language, and the other one was writing in an ancient Templar language. And this went on for a while, and eventually, whenever they, they stopped and they came out of it, it took them several years to decipher what they had written down because this was this ancient Templar language had gone dead, and they had to uh, re- figure out how to translate that as well as some of the ancient Sumerian writing as well. And once they were able to translate that, uh, one of them was for how to build a flying craft called the Hanabu that the Nazis were known. In fact, there's actual test footage, I believe, in 1932, that shows them flying a Hanabu that they had built, um, as well as, um, or that they had recovered, probably. And that um, the other one was for the Deglaka, also known as the Bell, which is supposed to be some sort of interdimensional craft that can jump between um, this dimension and another, or maybe multiples, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's huge. And as, as we kind of uh, back away and slowly exit the German Vril NASA rabbit hole, let me ask you something a little off topic. What are your thoughts about Werner von Braun, his book, Project Mars, and a main character known as Elon, 
who he predictively programmed would uh, take humanity to Mars. Yeah, the uh, and see, looking at uh, Werner von Braun, it's like how much of the stuff that he was telling the public was actually real or legit. Because I mean, even his tombstone, you know, has the thing on there about the talking about the firmament and that it shows the handiwork of God. So it's like, are we? And some kind of a prison planet, uh, you know, you want to say flat earth, you want to say under living under the dome that we cannot actually penetrate, is that the case? Is the only way that you can maybe bypass some of the stuff have to do with going through portals? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of things, and, and that's the thing, it's like a lot of the things that I thought, I, I pretty much had a uh, an idea of where the, they were at or what it was. It has changed. My paradigm has been shifted. I don't know how many times, and so, like I said, when it, you start getting into stuff like that, like space or even flat Earth, or you know, what is the sun and the moon actually inside under the dome, like it says in the Book of Enoch? It's like I, I can't really say one way or another. I just I know that it's not what they say it is, and the fact that he had that put on his tombstone, especially with some of the stuff he told Carol Rosin and and a few other individuals, it's like I have more questions than I do answers. 100%. I can't agree more. In fact, this is the mire that a lot of people end up getting stuck in, where it's one that I think you should go past, look, maybe change your paradigm a little, come back, do another drive-by, because 100%, when it comes to the firmament, Freemasonry, NASA, etc., all I can agree with is that it's not 100% what they're telling us it is. And there's so many key elements that point in that direction because, sure, I mean, we all know people that work for, you know, high intelligence or the space industry and, and there's this and there's that. But then every once in a while, we'll get these tidbits of evidence. Well, much like this recent uh, approximator that can tell whether or not AI is involved in imagery and practically all of NASA's photos basically failed the test, things like this. You know, um, there's these little breadcrumbs, right, that just kind of let us know that it's not exactly what it appears to be. And I recently came across something really interesting because a common argument is uh, having to do a little bit peripher peripherally with Elon Musk is this um, SpaceX. You know, it's all SpaceX, everything's SpaceX. That's, uh, you know, the internet coming from Elon Musk and, and Starlink. And I found something that was known as Loon. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, purchased by Google and it said it didn't work. Well, Loon was basically, I don't have the website in front of me, but if you look it up, it was basically these satellites that hung from balloons. And they did exactly what uh, Starlink purports to do, which is float around and, you know, transfer internet signals. And they worked really well. But then they were just kind of dissolved. And almost around the same time, we have Starlink coming out. And uh, anyway... I don't want to get derailed, but 100%, I agree. The more you look into these things, the more things you realize you have to avoid because they're, they're, they're traps in many cases and pitfalls, but that idea of the firmament keeps coming up and there seems to be more and more to it as we move on. Um, 
And and moving on, I really want to touch upon something that you also document in the film, which is super important when it comes to ufology, angels, demons, how they all interconnect, and that's Ray Boucher and what we've come to know as the Collins Elite. Can you tell listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, that's what I was referring to earlier when I was saying the uh, the, the writers, because that is what Ray Boucher and um, Linda Moulton Howe actually knew them as, uh, the the term Collins Elite was actually coined by a author named Nick Redfern, I believe, uh, in a book that he wrote called Final Events, which touches on some of that information that Linda Moulton Howe and Ray Boucher had put out there for people. So, um, yeah, it's that this was the group of individuals that worked within the Pentagon and the DOD, and they were witnessing a lot of uh, ritual, satanic rituals going on. At government agencies, you know, within government agencies on military bases and um, a lot of stuff like that. So, yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. That that that's the actual name, and I, I, I try to put that out there so that if people do want to look into it, you know, go straight to the source. Don't don't necessarily go to Nick Redfern and look at what he's saying about it. Go straight to Linda Moulton Howe and Ray Boucher. Yes, and this is super important because, um. I don't want to give the reader's digest version, but basically the Collins Elite is, um, is as it was explained to me, there's, a, I believe, a Netflix special that is titled The Family, which kind of takes an opposing view of this group or generalized uh, arena or organization, at least peripherally, and they call it The Family on Netflix. And if you watch it, it's basically the more Christian aspects of government and the control systems. And the Collins elite would definitely verifiably fall under that. This is kind of the old guard who has who has really investigated, you know, the UFO phenomenon, UAPs, etc., and came away with evidence that these are all entities which are cosmically could fall under the banner of a hierarchy of both good and negative or demonic entities. And, you know, very much in line with the esoteric and occult things that you touch upon in your film. And this kind of brings me to the next question I have, which, you know, this this new guard, so to speak, or those pushing for disclosure now are questioning the narrative because a lot of this stuff is on a need to know basis. They want the data. Show us the proof of, that you know what these are. And the old guard is basically saying Again, this is very Reader's Digest version, but basically saying, we know what they are, leave it alone, and uh, move on. So, moving on, <laughs> this um, this part of uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and I, I really like how you delve into this and approach this. It's it's really important to me, as you know, I, I own a ranch that shares a fence line with it, um, and... Uh, the guards, the security guards at Skinwalker Ranch, Chris Marks and others, they came forward with information which is mind-blowing. And they delve deeply into the esoteric and the occult, mostly at the bidding of some of the projects, etc., the research and investigation they were doing, things incorporating Ouija boards and the like, and some other, other practices. But Chris Marks and other security guards at the ranch 
basically were under the impression at times that they were being actually tested upon. Much like, you know, uh, some of some of the government testing on unwitting victims, you know, or un test subjects, I should say. And the same is true here. This sounded super far-fetched when they came out with it. And then fast forward, we had some documents come off the desk of uh, CIA doctor, Dr. Kit Green, about something they're calling now interference syndrome, which very much falls into line with what they were talking about, that these brain scans that they underwent were looking for this, uh, oh, it's so strange, right? It's something called interference syndrome, which basically can turn your brain into sort of like a Swiss cheese, yet you're able to still download information and at times possibly even uh, interact and and perform your job better than before, getting possibly downloads from some of these intelligences, but it is very much a physical ailment. And we've kind of, in, in our circles, Chad, we've always kind of known about this. This has always been called different things. I think back in the 60s and 70s, it was called something like UFO disease, or, you know, uh, had had traits with radiation, had other traits with sort of like Havana syndrome. And um, very much it seems that this has to do with being in close proximity with either exotic propulsion, high strangeness, or possibly these demonic malevolent entities. What are your thoughts of some of the tales coming from security guards at Skinwalker Ranch? That's a great question, and that really ties uh, into a, the main crux of all of this, is that uh, not just people who have been in close proximity to craft like uh, Kenneth Arnold and Mount Rainier, when he saw the nine craft uh, flying over uh, you know, the Mount Rainier in Washington, but he's also the one who coined the phrase that it looked like uh, saucer skipping on a pond or water, and we got the term flying saucer from. So he was one of the first people to encounter the hitchhiker effect, which which is well known out there at Skinwalker Ranch. That was one of the key facets that I really targeted and zeroed in on was this whole hitchhiker effect and how it spreads like a virus uh, to those who come in close contact or proximity to some sort of an event or craft, uh, entity, um, specific geographic locations that are considered hot spots where the veil is thin. Um, so you got that. Then I found out that the next people that were uh, early pioneers of the hitchhiker effect were the remote viewers, like Yuri Geller. He um, was being investigated when they were ch trying to see, uh, but not just his remote viewing capabilities, but even some of his uh, psychokinetic powers uh, of bending spoons and different things. And as these scientists were investigating him, they themselves started having things happen in their homes, and they started uh, experiencing hitchhiker phenomenon, uh, whether it be uh, these gigantic birds outside their house. And when I say gigantic, I mean, think about like a crow that's probably about the size of a German shepherd walking around out in your front yard. Things like that, seeing little UFOs and orbs flying around inside their homes and, and seeing like shadow people and all sorts of bizarre things. So there you got the early pioneers of the hitchhiker phenomenon. 
appearing again after uh, Kenneth Arnold. And even Kenneth Arnold talked about it that in his book uh, that he put out, his, uh, his memoir. And even his daughter has gone on several interviews and talked about the poltergeist activity and all the weird, bizarre things that were going on in their home after he saw the nine craft. Well, then you fast forward to um, the, the Skinwalker Ranch and what's going on out there. And you have Axelrod, who went out there and, um, you know, didn't, nothing really happened. He was just out there for like a few hours, and he comes home and eventually gets deployed overseas doing some stuff. Well, while he's deployed overseas, all of a sudden his wife sees uh, this eight-foot-tall wolf standing out in their backyard, leaned up against the tree with its you know, arms crossed, just kind of sitting there giving her a dirty look. And then all of a sudden it finally just walks off on two feet standing upright, eight feet tall. And then I think it was a few days later, she didn't even say anything to her two kids because she wasn't even sure if she actually saw it or if she was just imagining it or she didn't want to freak them out, so she didn't say anything. Well, a couple of, a couple of days later, it happens again. This time the two kids see it, and they freak out. They're screaming, and this thing turns and runs off on two feet. I mean, you know, they, they didn't know what to think about it. Then the... It started spreading out through their friends in the neighborhood. They started seeing orbs in their backyards flying around, and it even went through co-workers uh, of Axelrod's in the office. And one of the uh, people that he worked with where it had followed them to their home, their roommate ended up moving out because they couldn't deal with the, the hitchhiker phenomenon. It scared them so bad. And, in fact, even, what is it, Travis Taylor who is tied in with Axelrod, because we now know that Axelrod was actually Jay Stratton, who was the boss of Lou Elizondo, as well as uh, Travis Taylor and uh, Dave Grush, who just recently came out as a whistleblower trying to uncover a lot of this stuff. So, again, that's what I'm saying. you got the same people over and over and over, how they're all interconnected and connected uh, quite extensively. So it's very bizarre. It really, it really is bizarre. Skinwalker Ranch is one of those, one of those enigmas. And, you know, for what it's worth, you know, some people have had bad things to say about the security guards at Skinwalker Ranch. I think they are great individuals, all of them. And you've done something many investigators and researchers have failed to do with this movie, which in my opinion is sort of cohesively connect a variety of rabbit holes and explain and demonstrate the interconnectivity and basically tie together many of the most interesting enigmas of our time. Let's tell listeners again where they can purchase your movie, where they can watch it, and a little bit about where they can catch more Chad Riley. Sure. Uh, you can, I'm sure you'll put a link in here, but uh, if not, you can go to Google and you can just type in Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, and then Skinwalkers and Stranger Things of the Unseen Realm, and it should come up. I also have a YouTube channel that I'm going to start putting more stuff up on as well if anybody wants to follow me. It's uh, called True Seekers Research, just two words, no apostrophes or anything like that. So just go to YouTube and type in True Seekers Research, or you can even type in the name of the the documentary and you can find the trailer as well as a talk that I've given. Awesome. I will definitely include that in the show notes. I can't thank you enough for coming on today and thank you. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate it and I look forward to talking to you again.
the man, the myth, the legend, Chad Riley, bringing it all together, doing something many have failed to do in this great movie. Find it on Vimeo, Skinwalkers, and Stranger Things of the Unseen Realm. It's on Vimeo from Truth Seekers Research. Also follow him on YouTube. And if you're listening to this via YouTube, do me the solid to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Although I will most likely never be monetized for a variety of reasons, including the truth and the topics I cover. If you like, share and subscribe, you'll help me break through that algorithm of control, the shadow ban is real. And just a reminder, we've got new gear over at the shop, and there's a ton of content. Head on over to HeroParanormal.com. And if you want to support the podcast with more of a health beneficial product, go to happinessmedical.com. Anything you buy over there helps support the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Time machine, third eye feeling like an evazine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evazine. Blast off.